The markets are proving resilient. And why do we think they're proving resilient? Not only is there good domestic growth, not great, but good growth, uh, the absence of a threatening wage situation, threatening inflation situation, but also central banks are back, which is the, the title of the weekly market commentary this week. From LPL Financial, welcome to Market Signals. I'm John Lynch. And I'm Ryan Dietrich. Today, our good friend Ryan Dietrich is traveling, but we're, we're graced with the presence of our other good friend, Jeff Bookbinder, up in Boston, equity strategist for LPL Financial. How are you, Jeff? Doing great, John. Thanks. Uh, good to be here. Ryan takes these boondoggles once in a while, so uh, glad I can uh, step in for him. The man works hard. He does a lot of travel and meeting with our investors, so it's always, always appreciated, as are you. And uh, you're up in Boston. How's the weather up there today? Unseasonably warm. Wow, okay. I think the high today is is uh, 87 degrees, which yeah you know, feels more like uh, mid-August than, than late September. Yeah, that's the weather we're used to, right, down here. And uh, you have big news to share with everybody, a new addition to the family? That's right. Uh, well, listeners of uh, prior podcasts uh, may have caught the, the news that we have added a new puppy to the family. And <laughs> the big news this weekend was that we're finally doing uh, puppy play dates. All right, so socialization. It's been fun to watch our little uh, five-pound Labradoodle socialize with other dogs. So far, it's gone well. Uh-huh, good. Hopefully that continues. I'm sure the girls are happy. You guys getting any rest? No. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely not. It's been, been tough. Um, but you also had an exciting weekend with a, a big event, John. Yeah, yeah. My wife's birthday, 29, and uh, yeah, we, ha- we had a great time celebrating Linda, so it was a, it was a fun time. And uh, next week, can we go see the kids? Go see a college football game, so so that that'll be nice. But uh, yeah, all is well with each of our families, and we're grateful for that. But is all well with the economy and the financial markets? That's what we're going to try and get down to today, because uh, I think some of the highlights we need to talk about. Certainly, the markets took several punches last week, and really didn't go to the mat at all. But they did wobble uh, late Friday afternoon. And we'll get into that in a second. And then, you know, another major point I think we need to get across, which we highlighted in our weekly market commentary this week, we're kind of back to central bank leadership again. And, you know, two years ago, we were all excited about getting fiscal leadership. uh, And that worked for a little bit until it didn't. Once the trade situation caused a great deal of uncertainty and businesses stopped investing, as we've talked about many, many times. So let's start off with last week's trading. Uh, Clearly, we opened with the attack on the Saudi Arabian oil fields, right? A week ago Monday, we had uh, weak economic data out of China. Federal Reserve played a couple of roles last week. So Jeff, why don't you uh, share some of your thoughts on on recent market activity in the face of many challenges? Yeah, I mean, S&P was down about half percent, not not much of a move. We're still about a percent, percent and a half away from the record high. So it's a pretty resilient. You know, you mentioned, John, that stocks took some punches. I mean, a 15% spike in oil to start the week. That was certainly alarming to all of us, although it was encouraging to see the uh, initial reports that those facilities will be maybe brought online fairly quickly, at least faster than maybe people initially had anticipated. Mm -hmm. So oil uh, pulled back over the remainder of the week. Uh, You know, China slowly but surely is feeling a little more pain from the uh, the trade war. That, That certainly... President Trump's strategy uh, to try to get him back to the bargaining table. So we'll be looking forward to um, seeing what comes out of the talks next week, more mm-hmm. high-level talks between the uh, lead negotiators on both sides. So that'll be a continued focus. Uh, we had the um, 
the pressure in the short-term lending markets, which is kind of wonky, but certainly uh, is just but another very pertinent piece of the wall of worry, right? That mm-hmm. investors always have to climb, at least in their in their minds. Uh, those pressures have abated pretty well as of today, but certainly that just added to um, some of the reasons why markets were maybe just a touch. Uh, wobbly at the end of the week. Yeah, and we're, we're taping this Monday morning, the 23rd, so we'll, uh, thus far, short-term funding markets have have recovered. But what we have to point out, uh, I guess it was last Tuesday, the Fed inject the New York Fed in open market money operations. I guess they injected $50 billion on Tuesday night, and then Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, $75 billion each day. And now they're planning on 14-day loans of about $30 billion each through, I guess, October 10th. You know, we've had a unique situation with uh, corporate tax payments being due, just as a lot of treasury auctions are being settled, treasury debt issuance being settled. So there was definitely a, a funding crisis. To your point, it is wonky, but the New York Fed has not had to intervene since the financial crisis. So certainly gaining the attention of institutional traders more than individual investors, because uh, it's not really uh, an easily understood concept. It's not grabbing the headlines, but I think it's something we have to pay very, very close attention to because confidence is everything in the lending markets, correct? Yeah, that, that's right. We certainly want banks to have access to funding. And of course, the Fed cut rates last week in part because they want banks to have access to cheaper funding, right? Absolutely. So if you cut rates and you can't even get banks the funding at those rates that you set, kind of defeats the whole purpose of the rate cut to begin with. Yeah, so that is certainly basis, uh, yeah. uh, something the Fed wants to get off the front page uh, as quickly as possible. That's right. That's right. There's, there's no truth to this idea that all publicity is good publicity, right? That's not the case when you see something like this. But yeah, we had the, the weakness in China last week, right? Whether it be retail sales, industrial production, or uh, fixed investment, all came in less than expected. Then we had the mid-level negotiations going on in D.C. on Thursday and Friday, but evidently they did not go well since the the Beijing contingent decided to leave early on Friday. So that's why the market sold off in uh, late afternoon trading. And to your point, trade discussions are definitely being not only slowing down domestic and global growth, but it, but certainly weighing on uh, economic activity in China. Again, they export about $400 billion plus to the U.S., where we export maybe $100 billion plus to the Chinese. So um, we just had to be very, very mindful there. Uh, the oil situation, something Ryan and I discussed briefly last week, it was still kind of in the early stages but to your point, uh, Brent Oil and WTI uh, each each skyrocketed in futures trading on Monday for the week. I guess both were up maybe six or seven percent. And the curious dynamic there is, you know, had this happened three or four decades ago, <laughs> you know, the, you know, oil could have doubled on on an announcement like that. But yet, you know, now that the U.S. is the you know world's largest producer, world's largest swing producer, uh, getting product on and off uh, at a, a more quick basis. That really kind of altered the dynamic on one, from one lens. And on another lens, energy as a percentage of consumer outlays, household outlays, has declined significantly. It was anywhere from 8 to 10 percent, you know, three or four decades ago to only, I don't know, 3 to 5 percent currently. So that had a different dynamic played out than what we would have experienced earlier in our careers. What are your thoughts there, Jeff? Yeah, no doubt um, uh, the oil dynamic is very different I mean, we are uh, pretty self-sufficient these days, right? So, uh, if uh, you know, oil out of the Middle East is uh, more expensive, we could certainly get by with the domestic production. 
uh, covering most of our needs, uh, really all of our needs. You know, this economy is just not as big of an oil consumer uh, as it used to be either. Those factors are certainly helping. And I think um, the fact that markets handled that spike as well as they did uh, speaks to those points that we just made. Yeah, it's really uh, fascinating that, you know, we weren't down. You know, if you if you looked at those three headlines, you would have thought we were down. We could have been down in, in, a, in approaching correction territory, right? Uh, but the market really held up well. And then you also had that uh, large auto manufacturer who is on strike, and that's costing them, what, GM, $75 million a day. And that also, you know, can serve to weigh on sentiment. But as we've discussed many times, services make up more than 80% of the economy. Manufacturing makes up less than a fifth of the economy, but we believe that manufacturing can be responsible for, what, four-fifths of economic volatility. So we have to be very, very mindful there. But nonetheless, the markets are proving resilient. And why do we think they're proving resilient? Not only is there good domestic growth, not great, but good growth, uh, the absence of a threatening wage situation, threatening inflation situation, but also central banks are back, which is the, the title of the weekly market commentary this week. For the better part of two years, as I mentioned earlier, we were looking at fiscal leadership to help drive growth. And then once trade kind of offset the, the benefits from government spending, additional programs, reduced regulation in energy and financials, and finally the, the tax cuts and repatriated profits, that the headwind of trade certainly overwhelmed the tailwinds of regulation, government spending, and, and taxes. Wouldn't you agree, Jeff? Absolutely. It's kind of like we need a new playbook here, right? We, mm-hmm. we thought we were going to use the fiscal stimulus playbook, but with the trade conflict, we essentially offset all of the benefits of uh, the tax cuts and the government spending. We're right back where we were a couple of years ago, which is 2% trend growth in uh, gross domestic product. And uh, we really need, while we wait for trade to be resolved, in whatever way it's going to be resolved, uh, we need uh, central banks again. So, you know, it's not it's not ideal, uh, certainly, but uh, we got to kind of throw away the fiscal playbook for now, bring out the central bank playbook. And that tells us, uh, you know, stocks should be able to do pretty well, but you're actually going to do most likely uh, okay in bonds, too. Yeah. Well, let's... Uh... Let's make sure we emphasize the point that it's not just a domestic dynamic, right? It's a global dynamic. So let's let's start in Asia and move west. Uh, you know, Bank of Japan sees what's happening, and uh, they've obviously done a lot of government spending over the years. They've done a lot of yen printing over the years, still need to work on structural reforms. But nonetheless, the Bank of Japan already targeting uh, zero on their Japanese government bond in addition to other programs. The Bank of Japan is being aggressive. The, the, the Chinese Central Bank last week announced what spending program reduced capital requirement program to free up money into their banking system to in- improve liquidity. They did not cut rates, but nonetheless, they remained at the ready to cut rates. But in addition, just per- injecting more liquidity into their banking system to hopefully you know, boost lending capacity to get the economy moving again. And then, then we have, have had the uh, European Central Bank and Mario Draghi. Why don't you uh, share a few thoughts on there? In uh, Draghi's swan song, That's right. his last yeah. meeting, he was as aggressive as he could be. Not only did they cut their target rate further into negative territory, but they also restarted their QE program. They are buying about uh, 20 billion euros of euros on debt each month. And they, they made it open-ended. They're going to continue to do that until in- inflation achieves their target. And that means... They could potentially be doing this for years into the future. Uh, so the handoff from uh, Draghi to Christine Lagarde sets her up to be 
very aggressive, uh, certainly if she and the rest of the ECB choose to uh, continue this path. So you said, John, that this is um, a global phenomenon. I think it really is, uh, you could say, being led by the ECB at this point with how aggressive uh, that they're being right now. Yeah, so not only did they announce that $20 billion a month in quantitative easing, but it's they also reduced uh, interest rates further into negative territory at negative uh, one-half of 1%. But it's very curious how much paper is out there that they can buy. So you have to wonder to what degree do they do something like the Bank of Japan if they run out of you know, sovereign or corporate credits to purchase. Will they move into equities? Or when they realize that they've run out of paper to buy, uh, do they just force interest rates even uh, further into negative territory? So uh, Draghi clearly had that famous line in 2012 when he said he'd do whatever it takes. You know, no ambiguity there from a central banker. Uh, whatever it takes was pretty honest. And uh, certainly going forward to the summer of 2019, he's been very, very clear. And to your point, this thing could go on for a very long time. So it's going to uh, be mi- we have to be mindful of what that means. And then, you know, going a little further west to the U.S., we had Jerome Powell really signaling in a couple of major speeches over the past month uh, the Fed's intent to his line is now act as appropriate to sustain the expansion. We saw lower interest rates as we expected, 25 basis point reduction. The possibility of further expanding their balance sheet, which was another positive message, yet there was a negative message in that, or at least an implied negative. Jeff, we care to share that? Uh, well, I think markets were looking for a stronger signal that another rate cut is coming this year mm-hmm. and didn't get it. So uh, you actually had only seven out of the 17 members expressing the view that rates should be cut further this year. Now, the bond market is looking through that to some extent there's still about a 75 percent chance of a rate cut this year following the one last week based on uh, fed funds futures markets certainly this is the dot plots right where the individual Mm -hmm. fed members um, map out their expected path of rates they um, cause the market i think to be a little bit more uncertain about uh, the, the path of rates we we, we still expect one more cut, but certainly it's it's no slam dunk. That's right. That's right. And uh, we are looking for another another quarter point to get us down to the range of 150 to 175 over the course of the next two Fed meetings. We've got one in late October, one in early December. So we'll see how, uh, see how that plays out. But nonetheless, you made a point about the bond market and um, seven of the 17 members want lower rates going forward. It's conceivable the bond market may be more influential than those other 10 board members. Wouldn't you agree? Or voting yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the Fed is still too tight for a trade war, especially if it drags well into 2020. The bond market uh, can bully the Fed uh, into making a move. The Fed certainly doesn't want the yield curve to invert or invert further, depending right. on which which curve you're, you're talking about. So um, I guess it's understandable that the market would uh, still express this view despite um, the, the verbiage coming out of the Fed. Yeah, and I just think that's something to keep in mind as well because, you know, Powell's comments are on uh, inflation, on employment, which are the two mandates. He was very explicit stating that he's not going to give in to politicians. He didn't name the president by name, but he referred to not altering their path uh, depending on the opinion of politicians. But there's a very curious dynamic here that the Fed uh, needs to be mindful of, and I'm sure they are, and I'm not sure they can necessarily 
acknowledge it publicly, but you know, jobs and inflation, check, check, right? They've, they've done a good job on each of those, uh, meeting their mandates, uh, not been able to really achieve price stability at a steady pace of 2% inflation growth, but nonetheless, you know, we're creeping towards there depending on the, the measure with which you're uh, observing. But the, the Fed has to be mindful of interest rate differentials with other sovereign nations. Uh, clearly, there's a wide, wide berth between where rates are in the U.S. and, you know, Europe and, and uh, Asia. The Fed has to be cognizant of what that does to the dollar. And uh, very curious that the dollar has held firm even after the last two cuts. And we have to be very, very mindful of the fact that, uh, you know, the dollar is uh, really important on, on a variety of levels, obviously, for all uh, cross-border transactions, certainly uh, in goods and financial services. But we also have to be mindful of the fact that, uh, you know, the, the emerging space took out $4 trillion denominated debt. Food costs are a third of... Uh, consumer pricing measures throughout the East, only about 10% throughout the West. So there are dynamics where the Fed can't keep rates too high because A, some emerging nations may have difficulty servicing debt, interest payments on that $4 trillion denominated debt taken out over the past decade. But also you have to, they have to be mindful of what's happened uh, with food costs. And we can't put central bankers in emerging nations in a position where they're jacking up rates to support their currency so their people can eat. So we the, the Fed has to be mindful of a lot more in current day economics and policy initiatives than previous, you know, Fed administration. So that globalization of, you know, currency flows and uh, debt interest payments, food and energy costs for emerging nations, uh, our dollar, you know, can't get too strong, which I think Powell recognizes that, which is why he's kind of, he's trying to lower rates, but it's a curious dynamic how we're still seeing flows into the, into the U.S. in spite of Fed policy. Yeah, John, I don't know what's harder to predict. Uh, currency movements or trade headlines. That's right, yep. But I can tell you that they're both really hard uh, to predict. So, uh, you, you know, there are, yes, market forces pushing Powell to lower rates here. Mm-hmm. Uh, and certainly uh, currency pressures is, uh, is a big one. To wrap it up, you know, obviously the markets have taken several punches over the last few weeks, whether it's GM, whether it's China, whether it's the Saudi oil fields, whether it's confusion over Fed funding policies from the New York Fed for the overnight uh, lending markets, disappointment over to the degree to which the Federal Reserve has cut rates or will cut rates going uh, further into the future. But nonetheless, we have to be mindful of what's happening with the currency as well. So, uh, Jeff, why don't you wrap it up with some of our uh, investment recommendations in this environment, whether it be equities or fixed? Yeah, I mentioned uh, favoring stocks over bonds, but still having um, a decent chunk of bonds to act as a diversifier mm-hmm. makes sense in this centrally central bank-driven environment. Uh, large caps over small as we move later in the cycle, we think makes sense. And then um, we've pulled back uh, on our value tilt, and we are now recommending a balanced exposure between growth and value stocks. Growth tends to do well in central bank-driven environments. Uh, We like cyclical sectors over defensives. We didn't get that last week. We got it the previous weeks, but uh, hopefully we'll get back to better cyclical sector performance. And then... um, Finally, uh, we think emerging markets make sense uh, over developed international equities in this environment. Again, it comes down to currencies in large part, which are very tough to predict, but certainly you have uh, economic and demographic tailwinds throughout the emerging world uh, that we think can help those markets uh, turn things around after uh, underperforming in recent years. 
Great, great, great synopsis, Jeff. Thank you so much. And to wrap it up, I wish you and your family and the puppy uh, success and, and plenty of rest and clean carpets. And, uh, you know, for the financial markets, I also wish everyone clean carpets as well. And we will uh, continue to position portfolios, as Jeff uh, just highlighted, and just recognize that clarity on trade really helps fortify the large over small growth value, emerging over developed, stocks over bond dynamics, cyclicals over defensive. So very curious to see how all that plays out. Obviously exciting times, and uh, we'll do our very best to provide you with as much insight as possible on this podcast. So thank you again for listening. And Ryan Dietrich and I will be back on next week. Jeff, thank you so much for your partnership. Appreciate everything. My pleasure. Well, that's it for this episode. Join us next week when we'll continue to analyze and discuss market signals. Stay connected by following us on Twitter, at LPL, or at LPL Research. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. LPL Market Signals is presented and produced by LPL Financial. I'm John Lynch. And I'm Ryan Dietrich. The opinions voiced in this podcast are for general information only and are not intended to provide or to construed as providing specific investment advice or recommendations for any individual security. Any economic forecast set forth in this podcast may not develop as predicted, and there can be no guarantee the strategies promoted will be successful. All performance reference is historical and is no guarantee of future results. Investing involves risks, including potential loss of principal. No investment strategy or risk management technique can guarantee return or eliminate risk in all market environments. All information referenced in the podcast is believed to be from reliable sources. However, we make no representation as to its completeness or accuracy. This research material was prepared by LPL Financial, LLC. Securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor, member FINRA, and SIPC. To the extent you are receiving investment advice from a separately registered independent investment advisor, please note that LPL Financial is not an affiliate of and makes no representation with respect to such entity. The investment products sold through LPL Financial are not insured deposits and are not FDIC, NCUA insured. These products are not bank credit union obligations and are not endorsed, recommended, or guaranteed by any bank, credit union, or any government agency. The value of this investment may fluctuate. The return on the investment is not guaranteed and loss of principal is possible.